Good morning and welcome to Grace. We appreciate you joining us live. For those of you who are at home visiting with us uh, this morning online, and for those of you who are here, uh, for those of you who didn't know, we tried to get the message out as soon as we could, uh, but we are so thankful that we're able to still come inside. For those of you who are here, we appreciate you again for following as many of the rules as we've set out. Thank you for being so patient. We want you to feel safe while you're here. For those of you visiting us online, uh, we want you to join along with us, sing, worship. We hope the sound and everything is going well. We've uh, got some new adapters to try to make that even better. Uh, but let me read our meditation, and if you would, uh, you just read along with us at home as our singers come to lead us in our opening song of Come People of the Risen King. It comes from Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Just a few announcements as everybody is joining in. Let me start and begin by saying the men's group is up and going. And thank you, men, uh, for all of your help. We gather together. We've separated up and down in the sanctuary and the fellowship hall so that we're able to spread way out. For those of you who are interested in uh, joining back in a Bible study program, the 18th is our date, Lord willing. Let me say that again, Lord willing. We have tried to move patiently uh, through this process so that we could cover all the bases necessary. Our elders have been so patient and gentle and working together. Our deacons have served so faithfully. Many of you have been helping in ways. And folks, it's almost as though the pandemic wasn't a problem. And I don't mean it that way, but folks, for many people in the world who have no hope, who do not know Jesus and do not see the purpose in life, the pandemic brought disparity. But for those of us who realize our God is in control, he has a perfect plan and a purpose for everything, uh, we have been able to work through this in a marvelous way. And so I'm excited uh, that we're working toward that, but there will be a set of procedures out and coming. I'll be meeting together this week, week with Nick and Christy and putting together a, a rough draft of procedures that the elders will be working with so that we can try to set these things down so that when we get here, please know this. We are not trying to match uh, the requirements of the state and the requirements of our county or the requirements of other churches. We have tried to put this together. What we're really trying to do is to obviously observe the laws and the lands that are before us, to observe the laws of God in the worship in our context of our confession, and most importantly, we want to do it in a way that we can all be safe that we can continue to worship in a way that we're comfortable and safe to do this. And so the rules are not designed to say this is the way it's always going to be. They're just designed to say, help us keep everybody as safe as we can so that our consciences aren't overrun. Because as you know, through this pandemic, there's been a gamut of understandings and teachings on this. And the most important thing for us as elders is to say, look, our, our goal is to bring us back together with one body, one heart, one mind, and one Jesus Christ. And so we're excited about that. Uh, you do have a bulletin. I won't go through all the announcements, but as the Sunday schools get started back up little by little, they will be limited because of space. And so we're, we're not allowed to obviously don't want to cram into small classrooms. And so there may have to be some changes made. Our deacons are uh, more than servant hearts to do whatever it's going to take to lead us in a, in a great direction, but it will take some time. And so we just ask again for your patience as we slowly make those changes. Uh, other than that, we do want you to worship with us this morning. We want you to join in in singing. Uh, we want you to be a part of that. We appreciate those of you who've brought guests, and we appreciate those of you families who've joined with us in our outdoor services. 
uh, you've made it a blessing and a joy for us to get to know you as well during this time. Uh, we only have a couple weeks left, and so uh, Brother Nick will be bringing our message this morning. Uh, next week, if all goes well, we'll maybe have our last Lord's Supper for the time outside. And so what a blessing to be able to, to honor God through the sacraments outside, uh, Lord willing. Uh, but other than that, join me in prayer. I would like to lead us to the throne of grace. And if you would join me in our congregational Lord's Prayer together, and then I'll, I'll call us to worship. But let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are again uh, just overwhelmed by your grace. The Lord, we are reminded so many times uh, that when we sin, your grace abounds. And the more we sin, the more grace you give. And Lord, we almost take advantage of it at times, knowing that even when we sin, we know your grace will cover us. And yet, Lord, Paul writes in to tell us that that should be forbidden, that we should never want to take advantage of the grace that's been given, that we should never assume that grace will be shown. And that, Lord, it is only because of your mercy uh, that we have a place in heaven reserved for us. Lord, it is so exciting to begin to think about being able to gather back into the place that you've had us for years. And yet, Father, at the same time, we pray for so many who have been through so many situations in the past six months. Father, not just with sicknesses, but, Lord, through their jobs, through the isolation from their families, through the loss of loved ones unable to be together through the visiting in the hospitals, through windows, the rest homes from outside. Uh, Lord, it has been such a challenge for us to realize that we have so much that we have taken for granted. And yet, Lord, at this time, again, I pray that you would just show us, show us in our hearts where it is that we need to be brought back to you. Show us in our minds where our understanding needs to be focused on you. So that, Lord, we can begin a pure form of worship again. To come together without all the un unnecessary items. And yet come to just put you first. Bless us here this morning, Father. Again, we know we don't deserve it. But it is an honor that two or three can gather together and pray according to your will. As you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me call us to worship, but let me read from... Elijah Mendelssohn says, O come, everyone that thirsteth, O come to the waters, O come unto him, O hear, and your souls shall live forever. What a blessing. If you would, we have before us our confessions of faith, and what a blessing uh, that we're able to come as a church. And maybe for the first time in many of your lives, you were never part of a confessional church, which means we put our truths in writing. We're unashamed to be able to put out into the front of others what it is we believe. And so for 400 years, from the Confession of Faith in the Westminster, one of the largest documents of its kind was to put into writing what we could use as a summary of Scripture. And so if you would, join with me as it is a privilege to confess our faith along with our forefathers for many years. You'll see it in your bulletin. It's of the church, who we are. So if you would... Confess with me, church, 
What is it that we confess? The purest churches under heaven are subject to both mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. There is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be the head thereof. It is a blessing to know that the head of the church, Jesus Christ, is also the one we can come to confess our sins together. And when we share our sins in confession, it's not that we're asking you to name that sin to each other. We're asking you to name that in your heart to God, to know that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And so if you would, join me in prayer as we confess our sins corporately together here this morning. Pray with me. Almighty God, we confess not giving you the glory and praise you deserve. We have often forgotten that it is by your great mercy that you have gathered us into your church. Father, forgive us and receive the adoration of our hearts. Grant that we may so honor you, both in spirit and in obedience. Let your name be glorified through the worship of our lips and the intentions of our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And you know you can confess your sins a multitude of times, but it's not until you realize that those sins can be forgiven, that whether they were from the sacrifices of the Old Testament onto the burnt altar, whether they were brought from the high priest into the spreading of the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, and ultimately when they come through Jesus Christ. The blessing of confessing our sins is knowing that they are forgiven in Jesus Christ. The writer of Psalm writes when he says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You are forgiven, you are cleansed, and you can worship with a good conscience. Well, good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 40, if you've got a Bible here. Again, thank you for bearing with us this morning, patiently. We've got to be flexible in these times, and actually in all times. Um, I want to say that I'm glad to be back. We were gone last weekend. We were on vacation with friends down in North Carolina. Uh, we had a nice time. There was rain and all that. Uh, we got a little bit of sun, so you don't have to be too jealous of us. But we are glad to be back here among our church family, uh, those of you who are here, and uh, many of you who are watching online. Uh, we are glad to be back. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Jerry asked me if I would preach and told me that I could choose whatever passage I wanted, and that was a pretty good deal. So I had been reading through Isaiah in my own devotional time, uh, devotional. Um, Isaiah can be, I don't know, kind of a tricky book. It's 66 chapters. There's a lot to it, and it can be kind of intimidating. But uh, something really jumped out to me, and I'm going to talk with you and all of us about it today. 
So, we're going to start at Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 27. We're going to go through 31. Hear now God's word. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me right now. Lord, as we have heard your word today, the word to us, first, Lord, the words that we have sang from your word and now the word that we are about to receive and to have it explained to us what your will is for us. We pray that you would help me, uh, help all of us together to hear what you would say, that we would receive it with humility and with faith, and that we would be transformed. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Since we'll be talking about running and not growing weary, I want to talk about my own experience of running and specifically of running a marathon. Um, life is a marathon, not a sprint, we are told. And I'll believe, I believe that you will be able to relate to these events even if you've never run a marathon or anything like that, or if you hate running, which I've heard many people do. Um, so I grew up around the Chicago area, and one of the coolest spectacles was the Chicago Marathon. You may have seen something like the New York City Marathon or the Marine Corps Marathon in D.C., Thousands and, th- and thousands of runners going down the street, blocking off the roads. That might have been a frustration to you. Also, all of the many thousands of uh, spectators cheering people on, just tons and tons of energy. Where Kirsten and I went to college, the, the Chicago Marathon path went down like both ways. So they would come, go on one way, and then they would come back, and it would just fill the street. And it was just such an exciting, cool thing to see. Um, I got into distance running when I was in high school, and um, one of my coaches was running the Chicago Marathon, and when I was a senior, I, I planted myself at the 20-mile marker, so you know the uh, marathon is 26.2 miles. So I uh, set myself up at the 20-mile marker, and uh, my coach didn't know that I was coming, and when I saw him, I ran the rest of the race with him, and it was, it was, just, it was like the best part. He had run the 20 miles before, and uh, I got to run with him and just feel all the energy, because as you got closer back into downtown, just all the people are there again, and then you're, you're getting close to that finish line. And when you are not registered for the race, you can't, go through, you can't go through that last part. So I was really excited, so you know, I, I you know, sent him off the rest of his way, and I was just excited to be a part of that. But a couple years later, I did get to run a couple I ran one in 2003, and I treated it like it was a short race. I got all caught up in the excitement. I ran very, very fast because everything was just full of energy. And about halfway through, I was ready to quit. 
And the rest of the way I spent running and walking, running and walking, and I eventually finished, was able to run through the finish line. After that, I got some advice. Actually, my dad had run some marathons, so he gave me some advice. He said, when you run, walk through the stations where they have the water and the Gatorade. Walk through there, take a drink, get refreshed, and then keep going. And that seemed counterintuitive because you, you think you want to run and get done as fast as you can. Many people just want to finish the marathon. But uh, it seemed counterintuitive. I thought, okay, I'll try it. And sure enough, I walked through the water stations, and I was able to run the whole way except for those water stations. They're like every couple miles. And my time was like a half hour faster. Um, some of you have heard that story, but there's one other one that I hadn't thought about in a while. So the next year, I was ready. I, I had improved my time by a half hour. I was ready to train again. And this is 2007, and this was the year that we went on our road trip all around the country for two months. And I had good intentions of training, but we're, you know, we're driving from Chicago to Missouri to Kansas, Colorado, every, like all around the country, and it just wasn't feasible or I wasn't disciplined enough to like, get up and run every morning these different distances, especially the long runs. So we got back to Chicago, and I kind of realized that I wasn't really going to be able to do it. Uh, but my friend was running, and I said, well, I'm going to come with him and run as far as I can. Just run with him and then kind of just drop out when, uh, you know, when I couldn't go any further. And this particular morning, it was like the hottest mid-October morning in Chicago like ever. It was already above 90 degrees by 8 a.m., and the humidity was just still in the air. And I thought maybe I was going to make it 10 miles, but I made it like three. And I dropped out, and uh, it was just not a good situation, but I couldn't go any further. And uh, the reason I, I share with you all of that, this is the way that God's people were feeling at the time when Isaiah wrote this for God's people. They had just come out of a situation where they were um, attacked by Assyria. Uh, King Sennacherib had gone through the cities surrounding Judah, and he was about to attack Jerusalem. He was threatening, and he was mocking God. He was saying, look at all these other nations that I've conquered. Your God is not going to be able to save you. And then Hezekiah cried out. He brought before the Lord his concern. He brought before the Lord their very dire situation that they would very well likely be wiped out unless God intervened. And by God's grace, he did intervene. God heard Hezekiah's prayer, and the armies were destroyed by the Lord. And even Sennacherib himself, when he went back, it says that he was worshiping his God, and his own sons killed him, a very gruesome end for him. So God rescued his people, but yet the, the, the commentators say that the countryside was in ruins. It was, they were saved from total destruction, but it was a very difficult situation. And then a little later when um, messengers from Babylon came to um, encourage or uh, celebrate with Hezekiah when he had uh, recovered from an illness, he just so happened to show the, these envoys from Babylon, all, everything that was in the temple, everything that was in the kingdom. Uh, and God said that these things are going to be taken away. And in fact, not only these things, but God's people are going to be taken away. As God had said, 
when God made a covenant with the people and if they obeyed, they would be able to stay in the land, they would have blessing, they would have all these things, but if they were unfaithful to the Lord, they would eventually be exiled and taken out of the land. And this is what would happen. So here are God's people, down but not out completely, but yet difficulty is going to be ahead. And in that situation, where will they find the strength to stay faithful to the Lord? What will they do? And this is similar to our calling, brothers and sisters, as we wait for Jesus' return. We have a calling to worship our Lord, which is what we're doing today. We have the calling to serve God and serve one another. We have the calling to be a witness to the nations, but yet we face difficulty all the time. And when God says to keep going, we say to ourselves, if we're honest, I don't really have the strength to do this. I don't have the strength in myself to keep going, to live out this calling that God has for me. And we even struggle to perceive God's grace. And we struggle to perceive his work when we feel this difficulty, when we experience difficulty. And I know that many of you are experiencing various different difficulties. And to have God say to you, be strong, keep going, uh, sounds very difficult. It sounds uh, almost impossible. But our big idea from Isaiah 40 today is that our weakness is no match for God's strength. Our weakness is no match for God's strength. It sounds counterintuitive. It, it seems obvious. It seems like, duh, okay, God is strong. We are weak. But what we do as sinful men and women, children, sometimes we impose our weakness upon God, and we say, God can't do anything. We look at our past failures, we look at our struggles, and we say, God can't really do something for me. God won't strengthen me. So look with me at this first point, and if you're taking notes, uh, the first point is despairing of God. Despairing of God. This is verse 27. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob... And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Brothers and sisters, this is an expression of hopelessness. This is unbelief in either God's power or his willingness to help. They may not have uttered those exact words, but God knew them so well that he knew that this is what they meant. This is how they thought about God. This is how they thought about themselves. This is how they thought about their present situation. But God knew his people better than they knew themselves. And some of you really need to hear that this morning. Some of us like to think that nobody knows my troubles. You know the old gospel song? Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. And then we forget the rest of the song. We may not even know the rest of the song. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen is what we say. But what does the rest of the song say? No one but Jesus. No one but Jesus. God knows everything about your life, even if you're confused about yourself, even if within your heart it is a raging confusion. Do not say, my way is hidden from the Lord. Do not assume that you have greater knowledge and greater power than God. 
Your weakness is no match for God's strength. They felt hopeless and they projected their hopelessness upon God as if he couldn't do anything. Now, again, they may not have uttered those exact words and I doubt that this week you uttered those exact words. You didn't wake up and say, my way is hidden from the Lord. My right is uh, ignored or disregarded by God. But I thought about it, and I thought about different ways that we might say this ourselves. We might say, why is my faith so weak? Why can't I have faith like this person or that person? Or you might say, why can't I have that person's life? Or nothing bad ever happens to that person. Uh, Or we might even say, the reason I'm struggling in my life is because God is against me. Have you ever said something like that or thought something like that? It might be a part of the way that you operate. Again, you may not have uttered those exact words, but what keeps you from moving forward with God is believing that he is against you. There's different ways that we um, keep God out of our lives. And we, we don't move forward with him, uh, even though we kind of want to. We want to believe, but we're afraid of being disappointed by God. We think about these past disappointments in our life, and we think again that God is no match uh, for the problems that we've experienced. Or that he's not really willing to help. But then others of us, we've taken control of our lives so much to the point that it doesn't really matter if he comes through or not. We take care of ourselves. We have done everything in our own strength to take care of ourselves. And if God doesn't come through, it's okay because I've got this. This is another way that that we disregard God in our lives. But Israel had concluded... Even God doesn't know what I'm going through, or he doesn't care enough to help. Again, have you ever felt that way? Do you feel that way today? We feel the disappointments and distress in our world right now. We think of race relations. We think of injustice. We think of an ever-increasingly vicious political climate. About a month and a half away from a presidential election. Um, there is a temptation to despair. Uh, Think of Peter in the Bible when Jesus told his disciples that they would all fall away. Do you remember what Peter said? Even if all fall away, I will never fall away. And Jesus told him soberly, you're going to fall away. And sure enough, when he was asked if he was a disciple... If he was associated with Jesus, he was afraid, and he ran away too, and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly at denying Jesus. And what did it take to bring him back? Jesus had to address him. Jesus had to say, in essence, I know you. Do you love me more than these? Yes, you know that I love you more than these. He had to come back to Jesus, and this is what we need to do. When we have disappointment, When we feel like no one knows us, when we feel like even God doesn't know what's going on, uh, as Tim Keller says, we need to doubt our own doubts. We need to submit ourselves to the Lord and to his word 
that he really knows what's going on in our lives. Our way is not hidden from the Lord, and we need to trust him to guide us through. Guide us through our disappointments, guide us through our experience of weakness, and to come to him to live the life that he wants us to live. Again, God's answer is that these conclusions are unfounded and untrue. God calls them out and says, I do know. Don't say that my way is hidden from the Lord. Um, some of us have been studying the book of James in the men's Bible study, and, and others are studying it. And we learned this past week that we should not say when we're tempted, God is tempting me, because God doesn't tempt anyone, and he doesn't do evil. But we are tempted when we are led away by our own desires. The temptation is to look and see things from a merely human perspective. And then we project our view of things upon God and we imagine that he can't do anything to help us. But we need to humble ourselves and come back to the Lord and trust his version. Why is that? Well, look with me at verse 28. We look at despairing of God. This is what we do when we uh, forget and we impose our own ideas upon God. But what must we do when we are despairing of God? We must remember God, the true God. Not the God of our imagination, not the gods of the nations, but the true God. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God says, you would not say these things. You would not draw the conclusions that you did if you remembered who I am. And that's what you need to do. That's what we all need to do. They had dodged total destruction when God saved Jerusalem from Sennacherib, but there was more trouble coming later, as I mentioned. Babylon. Babylon was going to come and take them away. How could they trust God through that was the question. It was not trusting in their own strength. It was not trusting in a nation nearby to help them out. It was only by trusting in the God who made them. Again, these are things that they knew. This is the difficult thing. You don't just learn something true about God one time and never remember. You continually need to hear God's word. You continually need to draw on God's promise that's why scripture memorization is so important. It's not to give you um, work to make you frustrated. It's to help you to be able to call upon God in your time of difficulty and need. And this is what God's people needed to do back then. It's what we need to do today and every day. If you're reading through the whole Bible, maybe some of you have read through the whole Bible before. You don't just read it once and say, oh, I read it. Uh, move on to something else. No. No. Um, God's word is alive. Remember, it's, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, devo it uh, divides soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is true, and we need to let it judge us. Again, we need to humble ourselves. God has given us the ability to judge, but it is under his authority. So they have heard it. They have known, but they needed to remember. And what did they need to remember? The Lord is the everlasting God. 
He's everlasting. He's outside of time. He's outside of creation, even though he is intimately involved in it. Again, if they would remember that God is everlasting and that he made everything, then they could see that there is nothing that God does not see. There is no emotion that you experience. There is no difficulty. There is no trying uh, relationship that you are experiencing right now that God does not know about. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. How could he, if he created everything, he's God so big. That helps us to know that he is involved in the small things and the intimate details of your life so that you can come to him with confidence. Remember, Hezekiah did that. He came to him, he came to God in his distress. And he says, you're all that I have. You're the only thing that's keeping us from being destroyed. And this is what we, what we must do. And then it says, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Again, God is the creator He has infinite power. He has infinite knowledge, which means he knows how to get you through, and he has the power to get you through. And we need to believe that. We need to believe that the vexing situations that we face have an answer. They may not end as quickly as we want them to. We may feel like we are uh, bearing more than we can bear. And in a sense, that's true. Because we were meant to cast our burdens upon the Lord. He is the one who gives you strength. We must come to him. We must come to him often. We must draw on his strength. The one who does not uh, grow weary. Even though we grow weary. Again, this is the life that we live as Christians. Continually reminding ourselves of the truth of God's word. So I ask you. How is your week? How were you able to draw upon God's word to help you in your time of need? This is not to make you feel bad. This is to encourage you that God is there to help you. His truth, his word will guide you. His spirit will help you and guide you and give you strength. And you help yourself the more that you know God's word, the more that you relate to him intimately through your difficulty, through the things that are stressful. So, if we're honest, we despair of God. We're hopeless sometimes. And in those moments, we need to remember the true God. We need to remember who he is. And then finally, strengthened by God. Strengthened by God. This is verses 29 through 31. The power doesn't come from us. Listen to who the power comes from. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Again, We can get strong in this world. We can get strong financially. We can get strong physically. But the life that God calls us to live is not within our own resources. Whose resources? God's resources. We were made to depend on him. We were made to know him, to live for him. 
We were never meant to live independently from him. There's a sinful sort of comfort that says, I can provide for myself. I can take care of myself. I don't need anybody. I don't want to be disappointed again. I don't want someone else to mess things up. I got this. This is what we say. But the life of a Christian is dependent upon God. Again, some of you have taken matters into your own hands, and you're not really depending upon God. Come to him. You need his strength. Remember what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. What really matters is for the kingdom. What really matters is living for God in relationship with God for the glory of God. And that strength does not come from yourself. Again, you might say to yourself, if I only had a stronger faith, if I only had faith like this person or that person, uh, don't do that. Don't say that. It's okay to admire the faith of others. But where did their faith come from? It came from God. It came from coming to God. Again, we come to God with empty hands. Didn't we sing about it? Um, It doesn't matter what we have. When it comes to God, we're all poor. We all have nothing when we come to him. Actually, we have debt. And Jesus comes and takes our sin debt. He takes everything that's against us, and he takes that upon himself. Again, if you're looking to Christ, if you're looking to Jesus... You don't need to wonder if God is against you because Jesus settled that question. Jesus took everything that was coming against you upon himself so that God wouldn't be against you forever. It was the Father's love that sent Jesus so that we would know God, so that we would know that God loves us and that he is reaching out to you and to me. Maybe you've never thought about that today. Maybe you've never thought about living for God, depending upon God. But fundamentally, uh, we have all sinned. We have all failed to live up to the life that God has called us to live. And God comes in his grace, willing to forgive, willing to strengthen, willing to help us in our time of need. Uh, But we must come to him in humility and trust that his power is greater than ours and that his love is greater than ours, that his mercy is greater than ours. Again, our weakness is no match for his strength. We need to remember that. Again, he says, you're comparing God to the the strongest people that you could think of. These young men are likely young men who have been trained for war, trained for battle. Again, we we put our security in um, military might. We put our security in the ability of others to defend us, and we are grateful for that. But God's people needed to depend on God. They needed to elevate their minds from the earthly plane and see that God is stronger and greater than anything that they could imagine. So even these youths and young men fall exhausted. Even the strongest marathon runner cannot run forever. But God is the creator of all. He's powerful, and his strength does not fail. And he is willing to give power to the weak, to the faint. Again, do you see yourself as weak? Do you see your need? Do you see that you are completely dependent upon God for your spiritual growth? Are you dependent upon him 
for fruitfulness in ministry, for even what you need intellectually, uh, physical stamina to serve the Lord. We need all these things that we can't supply for ourselves. And then we see this wonderful promise. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. What is this waiting? Is it waiting around in line, waiting for something to happen? Some of us think that's boring. Why do I want to wait for God? Where is he? Waiting for God is fixing your hope upon him. It's believing that he knows what's going on in your life. It's believing that he has the power to change the situation. And it's believing that he loves you. It's believing that he has the power that you need. And then we have these three images. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Have you ever wanted to fly? Have you ever wanted to fly around? Wouldn't you just love to do that? Um, I marvel I even... Uh, you remember Leonardo da Vinci, he, he wanted to create that flying machine, right? And you see all these different drawings and even things that he tried. Uh, obviously, we can get in an airplane and fly around, but we still haven't perfected, like, being able to move our arms with wings and fly like that. Maybe if you have figured it out, let me know. Uh, but it seems like the way that our bodies are constructed, we just don't have the, the strength to do that, right? But they have seen the eagle before. And you've probably seen the eagle before, either in, uh, in the sky or through a video or something. It is amazing and majestic, and there's a reason that uh, is a, it's a national symbol, the bald eagle. It's a symbol of strength, and it's a signal of dignity, and it's uh, uh, a sign of majesty. But this is what we receive from the Lord when we trust in him, when we wait upon him, when he is our only hope. He says he will strengthen us, and we will be like an eagle that flies in the sky, soaring. We'll be like those who run and are not weary. You can keep going forever. You'll walk and not be faint. And again, some of you are facing serious physical challenges, sicknesses, diseases. Uh, some of you are experiencing uh, mental difficulty, um, emotional difficulty, the cool thing is, is that you don't need to be the perfect specimen of health to experience these things. You can, your body can be wasting away, but you can still be soaring with the Lord. God is not done with you yet. Some of you are thinking, I'm just going to live life on my own. I don't really want to get involved with this. I've got my own strength. I can take care of myself. Others of you might be thinking, my time has passed and I'm just waiting around. But God gives power to the faint. God gives power to those who are weak. Let me finish with a few other short passages. Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Again, we look for strength. We look around and we see others prospering and we think that we want that. Um, but God offers something greater. Psalm 37, 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
And in, in a few weeks, Pastor Jerry is going to preach to us from 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul confesses, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How do we know this? And this is what I'll conclude with. When Jesus came, when he left heaven, when the Son of God became man and came to this earth, he lived in weakness. He lived in dependence upon his Father. He came out to do his will, but the will of his Father. He depended upon the Holy Spirit every step of the way. His record was perfect. He did it, and he did it for you. He didn't need to redeem his own life. He was perfect. We were the ones that needed to be redeemed. And he was willing to be made weak so that we could be strong. He took our sin upon himself. He knows what it's like when you suffer. He knows what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through completely. God knows what you're going through. Remember that. Jesus knows what you're going through. And he took your burden upon himself. He died on that cross. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And then one day, he's going to come back and rescue us. The challenge now is to wait. But he doesn't leave us waiting just to stand around. He has a job for us. To serve him. To reach the lost. To glorify him. To grow in him. Don't you know that you have more uh, growing in your relationship with God? Even this week, God has something to show you as you depend upon him, as you wait upon him. But remember Jesus. God's grace to you comes through Jesus. He is the one who became weak so that we would become strong in him to glorify him. So look to Jesus today as we sang about. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, He is the one who gives us strength to run. And as we wait upon him, even if our physical body is weak, we can be strong in him. So come to him today. Let's pray. Thank you for these precious promises, dear Lord. We thank you for the strength that you provide. Lord, even if we're afraid to believe, may we not believe that our weakness is greater than your strength. We can't do that without your help. So I pray that you would move in every heart, that you would give us faith to believe your promises, that your word is true, uh, that when we despair, we need to remember you, and that you strengthen us. You, You revive our strength as we look to Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hear and receive God's blessing. This is what you need, brothers and sisters. From Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace and in strength.